This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello Versus listeners, what a difference a few weeks can make. You may be aware that things move pretty quickly when it comes to social media and this is just a quick note to say that today's episode was recorded in advance a little bit earlier this year in 2023 which means that we were talking pre-X, pre-threads, even pre-supposed boxing match between the owners of those two sites. It's been wild but we hope you enjoyed the listen we've got coming up and the smart thoughts from both our excellent guests whose wisdom we believe is evergreen no matter what socials you find them on. Hello and welcome to Versus, the podcast that finally settles the little debates that are always a big deal to someone. I'm Coco Khan and this week our someones are Aina J. Khan, the reporter and writer whose work is often seen across outlets such as NBC News, The Guardian and The New York Times, and Sophia Smith-Gaylor, journalist, author and TikTok creator. That last point is somewhat relevant today. Sophia is also senior news reporter for Vice News and the author of Losing It, Sex Education for the 21st Century. These two are so plugged into what's going on, we might as well sign up to their inner monologues, tick the terms and conditions, have a cookie and leave it at that. But they're here to talk about online spaces because this week we debate TikTok versus Twitter. I think a lot of us feel like our relationship with social media is that you put a lot in and you don't always get much back or out of every five attempts, maybe one will work. And I was finding that actually with TikTok, if you kind of game the system, out of five attempts, three or four will really work. Twitter really breathed a new lease of life into how we debate about things. And it did it for the better and for the worse. So there's good and bad points. But remember, which social media behemoth comes out on top is up to you, the listeners. After each episode drops, we open up the polls for you to vote on our website. We'll announce the winner in next week's episode. Which reminds me, who won last week? Well, last week we debated a battle of the fantasy realms, Harry Potter versus Stranger Things. And as we go to air this week, the winner is a tie. Our first ever. Trey Beecham, M. Wallbank, well done to both of you. The votes are at 50% each. I guess this is a week where everybody wins. So back to TikTok versus Twitter, or X if you're of that persuasion. Before we get into it though, let's crunch a few facts. It's time for another tasty helping of Coco's Crunch. 
let's start with Twitter. It was founded in 2006 by former head honcho Jack Dorsey. Apparently, he wanted an idea so simple that you don't even think about it. You just write. And voila, the micro-blogging platform was born. Via the humble hashtag, first used on Twitter on the 23rd of August 2007, the app's millions of users have had a hand in movements shaping the future of humanity, such as the Arab Spring, Me Too, and Black Lives Matter. Plus, my favourite day, Ed Bull's day. Twitter has not been without controversy, however. Misogyny, hate speech and fake news have thrived within pockets of the social media giant. And since free speech absolutist Elon Musk bought it for a cool $44 billion in 2022, somehow halving its value in the process, the digital town square is looking a little bit less desirable in recent months. There's also a shiny new neighbourhood on the social media map, TikTok. Despite it feeling like it's been here forever, TikTok is actually very new. An amalgamation of different success successful apps first launched in China, the TikTok we know today has only been with us since 2018. Its initial success was laid by tapping into music lovers. It shares the same troublingly loose relationship with facts and echo chambers as Twitter does, but TikTok comes with a side order of continuous accusations that it's allegedly a bit too cosy with the government in Beijing. Coco's Crunch. So let's hear some hot takes. Sophia, we'll kick it off with you. Why is TikTok the online space that anyone who's anyone should be a part of? So I have three reasons behind, well, I have many reasons, frankly, but if I had to pick three, firstly, if this is a popularity contest, TikTok wins. TikTok has a billion monthly active users. Twitter has about, I think, 450 million by the last counts. There are a lot more people around the world on TikTok every month than Twitter. The second reason is that the primary format is short form video. This is the most engaging piece of content right now on the internet. It's providing the most fun, the most education, and the most information. And lastly, third point, it doesn't have Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) I can't disagree with that. I cannot disagree with that. (laughs) The last point you just, you didn't even need to say anymore. It's like, okay, yes, correct. Taken on board. (laughs) Well, let's bring you in here then, Ms. Khan. What has Twitter got that TikTok cannot compare to? Well, Twitter has Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, on a serious note, I think Twitter has been the most kind of incredible platform to allow people, ordinary people to connect with journalists who are like sat on this parapet above, you know, I I guess the the kind of normal world. And in a way that was a problem, but Twitter really decimated that hierarchy. Politicians, journalists, all these kind of world figures have suddenly been placed on a level playing field in a way with, with people around the world. And I think that in and of itself is probably maybe the biggest asset of Twitter, the the communication, the community that has been created as a result. And yeah, I, I think certainly for me, when I was starting out, that was definitely the, the biggest asset as well. Um, I think second as well, Twitter has been a, a, a means for minority communities and journalists from those backgrounds as well to, to really get stories out, perspectives and opinions that were not being covered by mainstream news. So People talk about kind of citizen journalists with a real sense of condescension, and they certainly found a home on Twitter. But I mean, let's face it, without citizen journalists, we wouldn't have known about stories uh, breaking out in certain regions of the world that, again, are missed by the Western radar, the Western vacuum. Mm. So I think that's a really important point as well, I think. I'm just curious, are the both of you on both platforms? I am, yeah. I am too, but I use TikTok very sporadically to like post mango reviews and kanafa reviews. And it's just, it's just a bit of fun for me. 
I wanted to start with these personal questions about how your own careers would look without Twitter or TikTok. Sophia, should we kick off with you? It was really interesting actually listening to you, Aina, describe how Twitter has amplified, for example, citizen journalists who couldn't rely on support, for example, from a mainstream media organisation. They were independent. They wanted an arena with which to share information and get their voices heard. Twitter was that in a time on the internet. I'm really finding with the work that I do, whether it's amplifying my own work or or trying to find the work of others, TikTok's now become that space for me, for sure. And I have found in my personal work, I have been on TikTok since 2019. So I joined a year, a year. Oh, wow. So you're quite, quite an early user. Yeah, into its infancy. Yeah. And I certainly benefited from adapting very early. I mean, it gave me a huge boost in my career. Uh, I helped try and define it and use it as a tool that journalists can use not only to find stories on there that are important to wide demographics, but especially young people, and secondly, publish stories on there. So the sort of end product that comes out of your journalism. It's really interesting how, yeah, I joined over three and a half years ago. And if you look at the journalists who were on there with me in November 2019 and look at the journalists who are on there now, uh, in terms of putting content on there, putting journalistic content on there, it's not become very well saturated. I do think there is some kind of block uh, for a lot of people in the journalism industry to platforming themselves in that way. Mm. Uh, and I still haven't fully decided or worked out whether it's a confidence issue, whether it's a skill set issue. I was a video journalist at the time when I first joined, so I was not afraid of video. But that being said, plenty and plenty of non-journalists, plenty of experts, plenty of people who are otherwise disenfranchised by the worlds around them and gatekept from mainstream news media have found a platform on TikTok. Mm. Do you feel that there is a risk with it, though, that it does only reach a certain demographic, namely Gen Z? That's inaccurate. And that is a weakness for That's inaccurate. Uh, the the age demographic that TikTok reaches is enormous, uh, far larger. And this is down to it's now several years old, firstly. And secondly, uh, the pandemic was actually a huge boost for TikTok. If anyone listening to this in the UK may remember in the pandemic, TikTok bought a lot of television advertising. Uh, when we, all, we were all locked down um, and you're watching TV, you saw a lot of TikTok ads. Uh, suddenly, Kids were stuck in with their parents and their parents were wondering what the kids were spending all their time on on their smartphones. Um, that, as well as the generic growth of the app, has meant that it's now it's all age demographics. In fact, most of the people I follow and see every day on TikTok are older than me. Mm, I did a story, actually, fun enough, you, you mentioned that during the pandemic about families on TikTok. And it was like, honestly, so life goals. I just thought this is such a beautiful thing that everyone's participating in. And like even the idea of the kind of the shared media experience, you know, when we were younger, we might sit around and watch a movie together as a family. And then that kind of disappeared. And there's an argument there that this is not only just for information, but like another form of community activity, you know, at the heart of it. But I do want to hear from our lovely Aina here on on, on Twitter and how it shaped her life and your work as well. I think Twitter was really instrumental for me in terms of building my profile as a journalist because I, you know, I I come from a working class, single parent family. I I know Sophia will know, like, we share like similar kind of struggles in terms of getting into this industry. It's a very difficult gatekeepery industry. And Twitter allowed me to you know, kind of share my stories, put them out there. And I mean, it's it's a it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because 
when a story does well on Twitter, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, uh, it has that many that many clicks, it's translated into clicks and whatnot. But then on the other hand, when they do do well, editors see the traffic that comes onto the website and suddenly the commissioning power that you may not have been given in terms of stories that you pitched in the past that were kind of flitted away, suddenly they seem more attractive to editors. So I think I can certainly say that for myself, there have been quite a few stories that I've pitched in the past that were uh, that were rejected but then I'd go back to editors at some point, you know, get the story commissioned. And it did really well on Twitter. And it fortunately translated in terms of how people went onto the website. And that, unfortunately, in some ways, is what editors are looking for. How many hundreds of thousands of views did we get today? Oh, this story did really well. Like, they're, they're looking for traffic. So I was able to build my social capital, if you will, on a platform like Twitter. And I think in particular, I was able to connect with journalists who's writing, who's broadcast, like I'd been watching for years, people like uh, Michelle Hussein, uh, Lise Doucette, um, so, so many people uh, who've been there for years. So uh, it was really instrumental for me. And it really brought down the ladder as well and made me realise that, OK, actually, this isn't so unattainable. But you really have to have the confidence to come out on Twitter with chest uh, in, in a way and, and puff your chest out and say, yeah. that, look, I wrote this story, have a read. Um, and, and I think that took me a while to kind of do as well. But isn't that a negative? I mean, look, I, I'm the same as you. I also working class, single parent, social housing background, getting out on social media, away from the boys clubs, introductions through parents, which is how so many people got into journalism and actually just being like, here I am. This is my personality. Here's my great thoughts. Here's the opportunity. I agree with all of that, but increasingly as the kind of adoption of this platform got baked into the industry, I did start to feel that it was having almost a negative effect, not in terms of finding new voices. I think that's always been there. But this idea that like, if it's big on Twitter, it's big in real life. And that kind of distorting and that suddenly, you know, even in, when we think about the culture wars, how many articles are like, well, so-and-so lefties said this and so-and-so righties said this. And it's like, well, no, they're just talking about Twitter, which is only 12% of the country using that platform. So I do wonder to what extent both of these platforms have their negative sides. And actually, given that we're here, let's talk about those negative sides. <laughs> I mean, this is why I said it's a double-edged sword, though, that that cesspit absolutely exists. And I called it a cesspit by purpose. It does exist in Twitter and nobody is yeah. immune to it. At some point in your career as a journalist, you'll get dragged into it, whether you want to or not. Whether it undermines the value of a platform, I think you just have to be conscious of both things, uh, both the positive aspect and the negative aspect and, and take what you will from it. But it exists for sure. There's no denying. And I feel like I TikTok for... The people who are going to read my work and watch my work and the literal audience, the kind of the anybody around the world who somehow finds me on their For You page, that's who I make content for, someone who who's eager for information. Whereas when I tweet, I feel like I tweet for my colleagues, my boss, my future boss, for powerful people who may take my journalism and make impact with it. That is who I tweet for because of the declining engagement and reach on Twitter that all of us will have experienced. It, it's not a platform for me to reach global audiences. Certainly not. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. We'll be back after this. I think also we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is platforms are 
born, they fly so high, and then they die in the dust. We're all talking about how Twitter was wonderful, but that's the past, right? And that was, you know, where we are now is maybe a different thing. Perhaps the baton has been passed to TikTok, or perhaps they can both live harmoniously in our worlds. I still need both. I still need to make different kinds of content for different kinds of people in my life. The minute that Twitter, like, becomes completely obsolete will will be when people like me decide that there's no point putting content anymore because it, it it provides no further value. In fact, I know a number of kind of accounts, and even if you look at news publishers more generally, they're really pulling back all the resources they were putting into Facebook as well and Twitter, and they're upping the resources that they're putting into search engine optimization on Google, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. So Meta is fine because Meta still has powerful global audiences on Facebook. It might be like an old-fashioned app for us, but in plenty of other countries around the world, it's the internet. Uh, And they have Instagram, which maintains relevance. Uh, One thing I was thinking about was celebrity and the age of the, the influencer. I mean, I know people who have got best part of a million Twitter followers, but they're not stopped on the street, you know, it's a little bit less personal in that way. Whereas if you have a million followers on TikTok, you are being stopped on the street. And whether that's healthy or not, I don't know. I mean, do you have any thoughts about the relationship between your platforms and a kind of new generation of celebrity culture? That sounds pretty accurate to me. Um, I, I think obviously because of the visual element of TikTok as well, there's, you know, it's easily identifiable, but also people really, and when I say people, I, th- I think news editors in particular have really underestimated the audiences on TikTok in terms of, their curiosity and the kind of things that they're interested in. But yeah, I mean, the celebrity say certainly is, I think, more amplified on, on TikTok than it is on Twitter. What that says about the platform, I don't think it's necessarily negative. It's just um, it's mm. just a byproduct of, of the culture that we're living in and the video heavy cult- you know, culture that we're veering towards as well. Um, but yes. it, yeah, I mean, fortunately, I don't have a million followers in Twitter. And even if I did, I'd be really... Uh, I, I couldn't imagine getting stopped in the street. I'd be like, I, I need to turn into some kind of like social hermit, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, uh, erect a tent on the middle of a mountain and just decamp somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, I don't envy, um, I, I think I really respect people who have that following on TikTok and I'm sure Sophia gets stopped many times, but... Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, I bet e- Sophia gets stopped. Yeah, I don't imagine it's easy. It is weird. And I am also a big kind of spontaneous crier, especially if I've seen like a dog video or (laughs) just some emotional video when I'm scrolling on a bus. And then I tear up and I think, oh, my goodness, if someone recognizes me on here, this can be it's just a bit weird. But I, I it's not loads, but probably once a month in London, I'll be at a till or I was even once on a bus with a mask, like during peak lockdown and someone recognized me and I was very impressed. But that's very Um, impressive. But it is weird. And thankfully, every single time it's happened, it's always been the follow up from, are you that girl of TikTok? Or are you Sphere? Is I really like your content. What I'm nervous about is the day when someone Mm. might be like, you made that horrible video about blah, blah, blah. Um, the cesspits of Twitter sort of becoming a, real and alive, like Aina, you were describing. That's what I'm always nervous about. And someone did recognize me once and followed me home, which is probably Ooh, the scariest thing that's, that's happened. Terrifying. And I'm, it was it was just like a, it was just, I think, like a fan who didn't realize that they that's where they'd followed me to. But it was very strange how they had pursued me for a good street and a half, as opposed to just sort of seeing me and, and shouting my name or something. Um, it was very, it was very weird. I don't live there anymore, so I feel fine about it. But 
stuff like that is weird. What about, um, I'd like to hear from both of you about moderation. I know both platforms have come under huge amounts of fire for the moderation, the approaches of it. I mean, Lord knows when I'm on Twitter, there's always that that sort of, you can spot it every single day being like, I reported this and nothing happened. And of course, TikTok has also been embroiled in a number of accusations and negative thoughts around moderation. Is it possible for platforms to do better on this or is this just the nature of the internet? And how would you, marks out of 10, give your respective platforms on their moderating skills? Aina, let's kick off with you. Um, I mean, I had a really unfortunate experience uh, in September last year where I was trolled after I was covering a story in Leicester. Uh, there were clashes between young uh, Muslim and Hindu youth in the in the city. And the kind of response on Twitter was extremely aggressive. It was um, unlike anything I've ever experienced before. But, you know, in terms of reporting, like I was so surprised. There were so many things that I did report and were clearly, you know, extremely abusive and were being very personal in terms of like my identity or my race or my religious background. But they they didn't get taken down. The accounts weren't suspended. And this was before the Elon Musk takeover, if I'm not mistaken, because he came in a few months after. But as much as I love Twitter, I think in terms of moderation, it is, you know, Mariana Spring from the BBC has done some really great reports around how trolling, the impact of trolling, particularly on women uh, in public facing positions as well. It's been horrific and I think more needs to be done. But I'm sure that at the same time, like going into this profession, I always knew, sadly, that at some point I'd face and I will face uh, scrutiny just by merit of looking the way that I do. So... Yeah, again, being conscious of it is always, I think, it, it puts you on a on a strong foot. So, you know, when it comes, when the tsunami comes, it's not unexpected. But at the same time, I do feel like uh, Twitter, pre-Elon Musk and certainly afterwards, I think even more so afterwards, could do much, much better in terms of moderation. So my opinion of it mm. actually is pretty poor right now. In terms of moderation, it's fascinating how there are different comment or reply cultures on different platforms. And I wish there was way more discourse about this because there must be research that people can do to find out even more interesting things. However, my experience on my personal TikTok has been that the comment section is, generally speaking, really lovely and far better Mm. than Twitter. And in fact, part of the reason, apart from declining engagement, one of the reasons that I moved and shifted more of my content to TikTok was because I generally have a more positive experience on there, both in terms of the fun of the content that I make and then what I get out of it, the comments that I get back, the impact that it makes on people wanting to sort of follow or consume my content elsewhere. It's It feels way more like a community is how I describe it. I feel like I've built a community around my reporting on TikTok and increasingly now Instagram than I ever have on, on Twitter. That being said, blowing up on TikTok can, by rapidly going viral and people not necessarily knowing who you are, can lead to like being directed with abuse elsewhere. So my DMs aren't accessible on, people can't DM me on TikTok, but they can DM me on Instagram and Twitter. I've had it before that when I had a, I wrote a poem about the etymology of the name vagina and it was kind of a feminist poem. It went really viral mm. and uh, someone posted it on a nasty page on the internet. And then I got directed uh, weirdly, you know, they come direct me on Instagram perhaps because they know I'll see them more there. It was very strange, the sort of journey that this abuse took. But I mean, moderation is a problem on literally all of the platforms. So um, mm-hmm. even though I've observed this sort of smaller cesspit on 
TikTok. It's it's a problem everywhere. So let's just move to closing arguments. Well, maybe then we'll start with Sophia then. Twitter once played a huge role in my life in the way that Aina has described, in that I was a little baby journo without any contacts, trying to make some and get some eyeballs on my work. And year after year, a couple of thousand followers would come. Then the age of vertical video began, which had begun long ago, theoretically, with YouTube and with video getting more and more popular on the internet. But vertical video, so smartphone-shaped video, that was developed and catapulted by TikTok in a way that the internet hadn't really seen or witnessed before, changed everything for me in a far larger way. I, for my first video, got 140,000 views and over a 1,000 followers on a platform where I was a complete nobody. And the more that I put into it and the more that I spent time on there trying to emulate popular creators and like people who were posting very organically to the platform, which is never other journalists. You know, it's always sort of content creators and the people who are really native to that space. And the more I put in, the more I felt like I got back. And I think a lot of us feel like our relationship with social media is that you put a lot in and you don't always get much back or out of every five attempts, maybe one will work. And I was finding that actually with TikTok, if you kind of game the system out of five attempts, three or four will really work. So it's been able to transform my career, my access to opportunities, my access to new hobbies and interests and aided my personal life in a way that is far larger and more powerful than Twitter ever did. Aina, we'll come back to you. Yeah, if I'm going to be really honest with the both of you, I, I feel like I'm veering away from Twitter. I really do feel like it's lost the gravitas that it had when, when it started out, especially since Musk has taken over as well. Like, you know, things like the blue tick removal, like it's had a really horrific impact on say, when I'm writing a story on, like, Israel-Palestine, like, I can't even look at verified accounts anymore from uh, politicians who are tweeting. It's literally random accounts. And it's like, oh, is this Ben Gavir's account? Is this Netanyahu? Obviously, with someone like Netanyahu, they've got the, the legacy tick and whatever. But there's just so many elements to it now where the kind of power that I had before is just is, is waning, uh, if not all but gone. But um, this is why I'm actually struggling to make a really strong closing argument, because I don't believe it has the power that it had before. It's waned. I mean, what I can say is that when Twitter started out, and to some extent it remains this way as well, it was a digital public square. We live in an extremely polarised society where the art of debate, the art of disagreement has become diluted in so many ways, you know? So Twitter really breathed a new lease of life into how we debate about things. And it did it for the better and for the worse. So there's good and bad points. But again, like, I, I think as a journalist as well, the ways in which I have engaged with people on that platform, I guess in some ways you could say maybe it's more highbrow than other platforms. You know, it's kind of like an intellectual discussion. That's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. But it certainly allowed me to speak with people from all parts of the world Responding to my stories and, and, uh, and, and you know, kind of th that engagement is really important because sometimes what it does is that it gives you as a journalist a vantage point, a perspective that you might have overlooked. Um, it might allow you to maybe convince the other person that, look, you know, maybe you're not seeing this the right way. I, I think that still remains true for Twitter. But as I said, there's a real and I think I come back to the expression of a double edged sword. It's, um, you know, it's it's really amplified the art of debate, but it's also diminished it quite a bit as well. So, you know, that's its great strength and also its great weakness. 
Well, thank you to Sophia Smith-Gayla and thank you, Aina Khan. We will have to leave it there. One more reminder to you, our listeners, you decide. If you want to vote on whether Twitter or TikTok won this battle, who was the most democratic platform? Who has changed the world? Who do you feel a greater connection to? Then go to intelligencesquared.com or click the link in the podcast description to cast your vote. The poll is open. The winner will be announced in next week's episode. We'd also love to hear from you on what life-defining fandoms we should debate next. Email any suggestions to versus at intelligencesquared.com or tweet us at intelligence2. You've been listening to Versus, a podcast by Intelligence Squared. I'm your host, Coco Khan. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Hall. The executive producer was Farah Jassat. Thank you for listening. <laughs>